Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our Friday episode. Guess who's here? It's your boy. It's your boy. He's back. Oh, he back. All right. Oh, hey, back. He's back. Oh, oh you, you, he's back. <laughs> he's back. It's quite creepy when you speak like oh, that. Oh, he's back. Um, hey, um, do you eat healthy? I do. Do you know what? I haven't been for the last couple of weeks. You eat, you have a weird... I, I, I'm known for being a very strange snacker. What, what's your favorite snack? I, I, I think we've spoken about this before, but I eat a lot of seaweed. Oh, you did say Dried that. Dried seaweed. Um, I also eat seeds and nuts. Quite a lot. You put things together that shouldn't really be together. Um, like, like you, you would like make what? like a weird, like you, you, a sandwich for you would be like. I, I once, um, I was a little bit drunk and made a, a cauliflower sandwich. <laughs> it was the weirdest. That is my prime example. Yeah, yeah. That is yeah. prime example. Do you know what? Do you know what it's born out of? What sheer laziness. <laughs> yeah, it is. You go and look in the all, fridge. All I had in the fridge, and I was like, "Well, I'll <laughs> make do with that then." <laughs> It's so bad. Wait, did you even cook the cauliflower? Sometimes I won't even make the sandwich. Like I'll have a baguette yeah. and I'll just like wrap the cheese or like just sort of put the cheese next to the bread and put mm. a bit of whatever with it and then just eat it without actually cutting the sandwich. Sheer laziness. <laughs> I just want to get it in my mouth. Did you have any spread with it? No. Or sometimes I'll just like dunk the, the bread in Philadelphia or something. <laughs> God, I love Philadelphia. I, I, had, I shouldn't, I, but I, 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 you shouldn't. Why you, you shouldn't? Why? Well, oh, you shouldn't. <laughs> but I should not. Well, Philadelphia dairy. Dairy is not good for the planet. It's not good for our guts. Alexander Mitten. We drink alcohol. That's way worse than eating Stop Philadelphia. Not bringing it back to booze. Well, I'm just saying it's true. It's just that's worse. That is worse. Well, it's not about what's worse. It's about doing the good things where you can. I tell you, if you um, are thinking about diet, if you're thinking about nutrition, this is the podcast for you today because we have Dr. Hazel Wallace. I love that name. What, Dr.? Dr. I love that name, Dr. No, Dr. Hazel Wallace. She seems like someone out of like like an 80s, like 
She is show in America. I don't know. She's fab. She has a podcast called The Food Medic. She's an author. Um, she's about nutrition. She worked in the NHS during lockdown. Oh god, yeah. The the stories about um the COVID situation was wow quite intense. And just also just about the fact that I just always find it so interesting when you speak to people who know so much about the body. Mm. I know nothing about the body. I think you do. I think you, I know a little bit about got, the body. You, ugh, come on. What? Not in that way. I just know about the body. You know a lot about your own bum hole, that's about it. No, I, listen, I'm, I, I know a lot about the body, but this episode was great. Dr. Hazel Wallace was wonderful. And also just the fact that I did, nutrition, gut health. It's gut health is everything. Well, it's all linked. It's all linked. Like your gut, your mental health. There we go. It's all, we're all interlinked. We've got, to, we've, got to, we've got to look at it as a 360. We've got to look after the body in all aspects. Yeah? Damn straight, let's, buddy. Let's turn this ship around and that's head in the right direction what ship are you talking about the hms <laughs> what are you talking about the hms mission the hms good life um you have to turn you are you speaking about your own ship that you need to turn around I'm talking about us as, as a collective a human go. race absolutely we're heading towards an iceberg <laughs> let's turn it around and head back to liverpool or wherever the titanic left from. all right we need to turn this podcast around we need to be upbeat so here we go you ready for it yeah here we go dr hazel wallace is on the podcast Enjoy. Drum roll, please. Um, doctor. Hello. So, isn't it cool? That is you cool. wish. You're so far away, Alex, from being a doctor. <laughs> I'm. Well, yeah, I didn't do seven years of... Well, it's probably longer, actually. How, how long is it? Hazel, how long does it take? Um, so... Usually it takes about five years. I've done three degrees, so I spent eight years in uni. Eight years. Wow. Is that, oh, that's a lot of debt. Is that, that, you should put <laughs> that's that. a lot of debt. That's a lot of debt. <laughs> also, Better become a really good doctor after that. <laughs> that's a great way to kick off any date. By the way, I have three degrees. So how many, so what are the degrees in? So I did medical sciences first. Yeah. And then I went into medicine after that. Worked as a doctor for a couple of years and then went back and did a master's in nutrition. Did you always know you wanted to be a doctor? No, I I thought I would be an accountant. Like, so just like my dad, that's kind of what my parents kept telling me I was going to do, yeah. but I didn't find it, you know, interesting or anything. Um, so the long short story is when I was 14, my dad had a stroke and died. <gasps> yeah, it was quite traumatic. Um, How old was he? I was 14. You were 14. He yeah. was? He was in his 60s. Oh my God. And... Um, it was after that, that I decided, okay, I want to do something in healthcare. And I didn't really know if I wanted to be a doctor or be a nurse or what it would be. So I did some like, you know, when you're in school, you can do some work experience and realize that, yeah, I wanted to be a doctor, but pretty late. So maybe I was like 16, 17. And so I was doing my equivalent of the A-levels back in Ireland mm. I uh, didn't get the grades that I needed for medicine, sadly. So I went to Wales, did medical sciences, and then got that degree and moved into medicine as a graduate. So it's a bit of a roundabout way. Wow. I mean, to lose anyone at any point in your life is is pretty hard, but to lose someone at 14 years old. Yeah, it changes you completely. You like go from being a kid to being an adult overnight. It, why does that happen? <sighs> I think... Well, for me, it was just me and my mum in the house then because my older sisters had moved out. They'd gone to uni, left home, got married. So I was just like, right, well, I'm the second adult now. 
And um, I think when your parents grieving, you kind of feel like you need to suck it up and just get on with life. Mm. At 14 years mm. old. That's so young. That is so, and, and also um, I think typically more, as, a, as a daughter, fathers are sort of everything. Yeah. Right. You know, I, you always say, I always heard this thing in psychology. They always say, if you know that your father loves you there as a, as a daughter, if you get your father's love, then you know that you're worthy for love as well. And I think that's with sons as well. A lot of the time. Yeah. So fathers play an important role. Um, I'm so sorry to hear that. That's awful. Yeah. How, how did you deal with the grief? I mean, I dealt with it pretty well, I think up to maybe 16 and then I went down a bit of a hole of just really isolating myself from my friends and I think once I knew my mum was okay I was like right then I started to grieve you can finally finally let go yeah and then had a really terrible year and took a lot of time out of school so I think that also contributed to not really getting the grades I needed but I came through it in the end and I feel like going through it makes me almost like a better doctor because I understand what like really deep grief feels like. Um, yeah, not to set the, the podcast. I, I, I know, I no, I know. But also, but also I can feel that you, you still get emotional. Yeah, I do. About, and by the way, this is, a spe- look, I've cried here. Alex has cried. Here. Everyone's got emotional. So that's why it's the greatest thing. That's why podcasting as a medium is so great because you, TV for some reason, I don't know why this happens. You sit there and you feel God, but for podcasting, it becomes a lot more intimate yeah, because you're not really aware that there's people yeah. watching. You feel like you're just in someone's living room with loads of microphones. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's actually what Jamie's living room was like. <laughs> it's really bizarre. But um, um, yeah, I think it's amazing that you can still show vulnerability with it. Because I, I think what a lot of time, what a, lot, a lot happens, right, is that you, um, you deal with the grief of whatever happens. And then typically again you block it but then you experience whatever it is comes out anxiety ptsd lots of different things Mm. as you know way better than me but then actually people find it quite hard to revisit that a lot of the time because it's so painful to do it but obviously with you you can revisit it because you know that's healthy to to be able to revisit it yeah i think i think previously i used to move on from it really quickly because i realized how awkward it made other people (laughs) Because it's kind of awkward. When it doesn't make, I don't know why that happens so, to people. It, yeah. it is because you feel like a burden, don't you're you? Like, you're oh, like, oh, I'm really sorry. And you're like, well, it was, you know, it was like a long time ago and I'm okay. And yeah, it's a really terrible thing that happened. But I think it's, it almost normalizes talking about really crap things in your life yeah. and like how you've come through it. And although it was the worst thing that ever happened to me, it put me on a path that produced this like was, incredible life that I have. I was yeah. going to say, I think whenever there's something of like extreme negativity, there's always like an equal and opposite the, yeah. o- the other way. Like, so this massively positive thing has come out of that, which is now your career and, and it pushed you down that path, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It seems, it sounds like a little bit woo, but I'm like, I feel like it gave me a purpose in what I do in my mm. life. I, I, I remember my um, business partner, a guy called Ed, um, he went to a talk of this, this, this lady who, um, she was got onto a tube. She was going to her new job. It was in marketing or advertising. Um, and she got on the tube. She was super excited. It was early in the morning and she got on the tube. She saw some guy come sit next to her who looked a bit weird. Um, he was being shifty and things like that. And, uh, next thing she did, she woke up in hospital and it was on the tube bombings and she survived, but she lost both of her legs. And so she could never walk in PTSD, everything did. And, Ed went to a talk of hers and she said at the end, what you can do in life 
is you can curse things and hate things and and say why 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 and always wish that it didn't happen and what if and what if or you see things as a blessing and you go no and she said at the end if what happened to me was awful but i wouldn't now be standing in front of all of you people telling my story and how actually if you really look at the positive things of life um that's the way to sort of progress forward and with you i think it's the same thing is that such an awful thing to happen to you but now you get to go and help different individuals around the world through your voice through your medicine whatever it is and that's you probably wouldn't have done that you would be an accountant yeah probably bought a <laughs> jesus you might have saved some people some money though yeah depending on how good you are true true <laughs> So does that mean when you speak to individuals who have gone through grief, you can relate much easier to it then, as you said? Yeah, definitely. I think the first couple of times that you lose a patient when you're starting out as a doctor is just really difficult. And then I was getting really emotional because I was like, oh my God, I'm feeling what they're feeling. And you grow through that a little bit, but I still think I maintain that because everyone says, you know, like doctors are so hard to trauma, like, you know, people are bleeding it in front of you and you're just you know, poker face, <laughs> but oh God, yeah. Um, but I think it makes me more compassionate because of that, because I know what that person's feeling. Yeah. And so, although my job is not to just sit there and, and comfort them and worry about them all the time, but like to help their, the, their family member who sadly passed away or is passing away. Mm. Um, I think it's really important. And what I remember from my experience is how good the doctors were yeah. with my mum and just explaining things like in really simple terms. And so that's, I just kind of, when I'm speaking to patients, I think about it like you're speaking to your mates, like how you'd explain to them in medical terms what's happening. Well, you have to be, I suppose, quite matter of fact as well in those situations. Mm -hmm. I would just be awful. I can't tell anyone. Just waffle. I, yeah, I had to cancel on a dinner this Friday and I couldn't do it. I is it do sorry, it. is this you telling a patient? <laughs> so I just, that I couldn't go for dinner with them. <laughs> go for dinner with all my patients. <laughs> what, to break them the news? Yeah, yeah. Nah, just uh, go on dates yeah. with them. I like going on dates with all my patients. <laughs> but, but I couldn't do that. So I don't understand how, obviously it's training and things like that, but to approach such awful situations and... And I think being a doctor is interesting, right? Because you, you go through, it, it's such highs and lows. Mm. Um, there's really, and it's that typical cheesy saying, which is no day is like the same. You know, it's it, no day is the same. Um, you know, when you have to, uh, as a doctor, have to deliver not great news, you know, how, that, how do you deal with that situation? Because you do have to sort of take away any sort of your own emotions. Mm. And you have to be, as you said, poker face. You have to, because then you, that that's what how basically what I'm saying is how do you separate work life from home life? Because home life is where you're Hazel and you, you know, do your podcasts and all those different things, but then you go into your work life, which is being a doctor, and it's two separate things. They have to be. Yeah. It's really tricky. Like in medical school, you learn how to deliver bad news. Like you go through workshops, but it's how to deliver it and like what it is for the patient, but you don't learn how to cope with it. So, you don't learn for yourself. Yeah. And I that's a bit of a bugbear for me because like, I mean, all of us work through the pandemic and mm. I was a COVID doctor for 18 months. And for a lot of that, I lived by myself. So I'd like go to work, come home. We're in a lockdown. Lots of people died. Just carry on like watch Netflix when you get home. It's <laughs> just like this really that's mad. strange, yeah, really strange thing. And 
I got into the habit of just sending myself voice notes on my way home because I was like, if I don't talk about this, Mm. something bad's going to happen to me because I'd never experienced. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got all these voice notes on my phone that I haven't listened to yet. And it's just like all the dates of my shifts. Is that like journaling? Sort of, but yeah. I felt like just, I was so tired. I didn't want to like sit down with a journal and write it down. So I, I like was pretty matter of fact. I was like, night shift. This is what happened. This is what, this good thing happened. This terrible thing happened. This yeah. is how I feel. I'm going to sleep. Oh <laughs> I, I, guess, I guess like, <laughs> I was go, just watching Netflix. Going, going, going back <laughs> to, uh, going back to the grief, like how you said you maybe didn't deal with it. It's kind of the same thing. You're like, you're experiencing this emotion and just shutting it off, shutting yeah. it off, shutting it off. So it's still there. Yeah. And eventually that's going to build up. Yeah. That's it. And you need to learn how to like. Is that how trauma works? Yeah. You kind of, you have to allow yourself to experience it, to, to, to get over it and like be able to observe it. Because if you just, if you just like leave it there, it does stay somewhere. Yeah. You, you do store it. You just go into the stress cycle, don't you? And I think that's why so many people are burnt out after the, you know, the pandemic, not just doctors, but, you know, Parents who are staying at home, working full time, also homeschooling, all of that kind of stuff. It's interesting because typically I I spoke to psychotherapists about this. Um, And it's funny how many doctors, uh, therapists, psychotherapists go through burnout. Mm. And he said to me that actually loads of uh, doctors actually then get such bad burnout where they can't think of anything worse than talking to another patient. And that must be because you're, you're... dealing with so much trauma all the time yeah. that you and you're not dealing with it yourself and then it comes out as burnout yeah you become so you just like lose all compassion that you and empathy that you can't deal with patients because you're just so done you're like in survival mode you can't yeah. take any more emotions so you have to become like a robot I guess. yeah that's it wait so Hazel, did you work on did you work in the nhs during covid then yeah wow what was it like it was crazy. at the beginning was it scary yeah i i was doing a gastro nutrition job at the time and i was going to actually take a few months out to finish my next book and that was on a wednesday and it was like my last day and i was so excited to have a break from the nhs and then one of my uh, senior kind of doctors came over to me and he was like on Friday, we're opening a new COVID ward. This is at the very start of it. We're, we're changing this ward, which was a gastro ward, like gut ward into a COVID ward. Mm. We need you to help. And you don't have to. And I was like, well, obviously I'm going to help. So I finished work on that Wednesday and then started as COVID doctor on the Friday and then stayed there for however, 18 months, but rotated through different specialties. So we were a COVID ward. Then I did intensive care COVID as a nurse for a little while because we didn't have enough nurses. And then I did COVID follow-up clinics. So that was like patients who were in intensive care and needed like follow-up long COVID clinics. Just basically 18 months of doing a job that I'd never been trained to do. Mm. What? Like so you else. just have to pivot straight away. You just have to you get your hands pivot. dirty. And we were all like doctors who are like, obviously you're trained in general med- medicine. Yeah. But all of the doctors in my ward are, you know, focused on the gut. And so we were dealing with something that's like very much a lung-based mm. condition. And so it was chaos for the first two weeks. Wow. And we just had so many patients. You know, I work at in a central London hospital. So the first peak was just firefighting. Mm. Yeah. That is so. And and also when it was, and I, you know, it's some of these things that it's so strange that we had this period in our lives where we couldn't leave our house and everyone was terrified of it. Um, When, were, were you scared of catching it at the beginning? 
But everyone was just on the team getting COVID one after the other. So it became like a staffing issue then. You're just working my first uh, like week on shifts was like seven days in a row, which mm. isn't really what you should be doing because we were just having staffing issues. Um, How many hours is that? How many hours do you work for? Well, I mean, typically you'd work like a full day, but you have to work long days. And for COVID, I lost count of how many hours I was working because I was just leaving when it was safe to leave, yeah. when someone could take over. Right. Um, so I don't even know how many hours I worked that first week. Um, but I had COVID the week before. I didn't know I had it until afterwards, but yeah. I was off with high fever, loss of taste and smell, cough, all of that. So I kind of had an inkling that I had it and I thought maybe my antibodies would carry me through, mm-hmm. um, which they seem to have. Um, but I would come home from shifts and I'd be in bed and then I'd be like, I've got COVID on my hair and I'd have to get into the shower at like 3 oh, no. a.m. Oh, I, w- I was God. so paranoid. That's, I was like, I've got COVID I can on see hair. it. I can see it on my hair. <laughs> yeah. Really? So you then have to go to the bathroom to start washing was, your hair because you thought you had COVID on it. I developed like this weird OCD. And then I, I know you would, you would though. It I was crazy. And I was, you know, I'd have in the beginning, we had really terrible PPE. You'd think that we were just. You went ser- there was like bin bags. And it was literally and like, like I was a canteen lady, not like a doctor. It was just a little thing. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and so <laughs> it was no surprise that everyone got COVID in the beginning. But as time went on, then we had like full on, you know, from top to bottom PPE. But still, I was like, COVID is on me. That, that is like an OCD slash paranoia, though. Yeah. I had this, I was telling Alex the other day, my OCD for, so, so do you, do you get OCD occasionally? I, ha- I mean, I'm quite an anxious, I think I'm quite an anxious person, but I'd never had OCD before. So that was really yeah, But it's a new thing that kicks in. I was like, well, this all is it, All it took was a, <laughs> a deadly virus <laughs> and a pandemic. <laughs> I, can, I can, I'm happy to say I'm over it now. I'm like over the COVID <laughs> now, I think Hazel, there is a little bit in your head, <laughs> yeah. a little bit less. <laughs> Hazel, I had this the other day. I, so I have OCD sometimes, right? Which is manifest in things like, okay, I can't walk across those three drains because otherwise my head's going to pop. Your, your OCD is slightly different. To no, you. I know. <laughs> I'm not, not like superstitious. Yeah, yeah, there it is. And then... I walk this, under this, a, yeah, this, a ladder this and I one freak is, out. This one's quite weird. Are you going to talk about the thing in your the, fridge? Yeah, the, the fridge. <laughs> so weird. No, but what, if you feed it, right? So, and also, look, I'm not you. I'm if not you saving... you feed it, what, your fridge? <laughs> <laughs> I feed the fridge. I'm not saving lives. I'm trying to compare our lives, which is not right. But I, I get OCD occasionally and I had it as a kid and I explained this on another podcast. And if you feed the OCD, it gets worse and worse and worse, right? Yeah. So you have to expose yourself to the situation. It was a, a couple of weekends ago and I made a tuna mayonnaise thing and I put it into a bowl and I sort of meshed it up and things like that. And then I couldn't find a place back in the fridge to put the mayonnaise pot. I couldn't find it to the point where I was like, oh my God, I can't put it anywhere. So I just had to hold it because my OCD was so bad. I couldn't find the spot to find the mayonnaise, where the mayonnaise should go. I'm just loving the look. Is that weird? The confusion. You're like, right. Okay. (laughs) Is that a weird thing to have? So would you not just put it back into the spot that you removed it from? Hazel, I tried. I couldn't find the spot. I couldn't find the spot. For some reason, it didn't sit well with me. My anxiety OCD was so high that I couldn't find a spot to put it back in that would work. Is that weird? I feel like OCD and anxiety disorders just manifest in so many mm. weird and wonderful ways. How does your anxiety manifest? I ruminate. I like stay up at night and think about everything terrible that's going to happen. <laughs> oh, I love, I love <laughs> that's doing that. That's a real that. good one. That. <laughs> that's my idea of a good weekend. <laughs> 
I mean, I've gotten better over the years and like. Well, better, like, at, better at staying up late. <laughs> I can stay up to like six now. I can really get into it. It's so, so hardcore. So you basically catastrophize all night. Yeah, I just, I mean, I don't do it all the time, but like that's typically how it manifests. Or, um, yeah, I just will get into these cycles. And during the pandemic, I got into them, you know, oh, wow. really badly. But I, I, you know, reached out and had a therapist during that time, which was really helpful. And I feel very privileged to say that I could get that support because we did have like on hand psychologists yeah. because they knew how traumatizing it would be for doctors and nurses and everyone else in the hospital. But it wasn't like super accessible. And also if you're working like really bizarre shifts and you're very busy, you're not going to be like, sorry guys, I need an hour with a therapist. Yeah, sorry guys, I need my, I'm freaking out. It's in my hair. I need to have that hour. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I feel it's it's insane. There's that really interesting book, uh, This Is Going To Hurt. Yes. Um, and I read, I started to read that on holiday and I found it very funny. And there's lots of things that I found interesting about it. You forget that doctors are humans. Do, yeah. do, do you know what I mean by that? You, you're, you're obviously not a robot. No. Why would you be a robot? But I think a lot of people feel like that's how you should be. And, and so you have emotions, you have anxieties, you have relationships, you have, holiday, you have all these things that go on. And I think as humans, we forget that. We think you're there just to serve and save. Mm. and that when you don't when something goes wrong which naturally happens in everyday life you're the ones to blame and i suppose it must be difficult when you have patients or individuals or see it happen especially in the nhs where something awful has happened and you've had to and you get the blame for it when you know it's not your fault mm. and also tiredness must be a complete killer <laughs> Because you're saving lives. We all know how bad tiredness is. Mm. And, and we also know that we're like a generation of being tired now. 
And you guys must it's get... All, it's all the rumination. It's all the no, no room for sleep. <laughs> no room for sleep. How important is sleep? Can I ask? Do you know this? <laughs> it's very I've heard, yeah. I've heard, I've heard it's actually quite good for you. Yeah, but I, yeah, I've heard I've loads heard. of things. The benefits of sleep are... And also that I heard that dementia is linked with lack of sleep. Yeah, I mean, sleep is one of those like really easy, low-hanging fruit that you can... Imp- if you work on your sleep, it's like you can improve your health in so many different ways. It's good for like memory mood cognition so like yeah attention concentration also like it's linked to your metabolism like your blood glucose so many different things so there's loads of really interesting research from people who work night shifts because they tend to have really poor health and that's thought to be because we stay up at night we eat at night we do all the things at night that your body's not really primed to do Mm. So like nurses have like really high rates of heart disease, for example, and things like that. Really? Yeah. Because you're, you're doing it so out of the evolutional cycle. I yeah. Guess. Like, so your circadian rhythm, you know, like your. What is that? I don't like, know what that is. Basically your internal body clock. Yeah. Um, like your sleep wake cycle. We're all in sync with like the sun and the moon. And so if you're up at night when your body's like producing hormones to get you to go to sleep. And everything's kind of like shutting down, but, you know, starting to repair. But you're like, you know, eating a McDonald's at 3 a.m., mm. looking at patient notes, really stressed. That's not good for your health. That is not good for your health. Mm-hmm. What what Mackies would you be? That's a good question. Those nuggets would come flying at <laughs> late at night. Woo! I want to see... The only what, thing what? that's open at 3 a.m. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's open at 3 a.m. It's just full of nurses and doctors, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. And it's right sorry, across sorry aren't you supposed to be digesting health? You're like, <laughs> Yeah, I'm just having a, <laughs> a little bit of a moment. Yeah, yeah. I heard this. I heard this rumor the other day. I don't know if it's true. Is that the reason why? <laughs> if you, if you, the reason why they used to send schoolboys on cross country runs in the morning at school is to lower their testosterone so they weren't as horny. Really? Yeah. Is that tr- is that true that if you? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it would have to be really intense exercise <laughs> to lower your testosterone. But I imagine it's just more too like tired burn them out. Yeah, 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 so they can't be horny. They're so too tired. I, I honestly think that honestly, and I, forgive me, but I think too many boys were masturbating at school and they had to work out. It's a personal story. It's not a personal story. I got told this. I think I think this was it's a not, personal journey. Not, why have they sent me on? A, why have they sent me on another before. twenty mile run? Because <laughs> you won't stop wanking, Jamie. <laughs> Truth there with these schoolboys, and they went, How do we stop them from masturbating? <laughs> these yeah, yeah. Yeah. Come on, boys, we're going on a run. <laughs> Put your penises away, we're going but it's true. And they 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 send all the boys that the headmaster decided that it was a good idea to send all the boys on a run every single morning to to drain them of testosterone. Did it work? <laughs> yeah, really did. I stopped, stopped it straight away. <laughs> but is that not it's because something with exercise I thought exercise exercise heightened testosterone, but it lowers it. No, it can heighten it. Like oh. if you're like but if you are exercising excessively, then you're gonna drop your testosterone. It's why like people who train a lot and don't feel enough will get like a really low sex drive because you can get it's like cor- it, cortisol you get like burnout essentially you yeah. like overstress your body because there's some there's some like bodybuilders and trainers and stuff that train so much that their body just like fucking shuts and probably down probably take some other stuff and they take well. uh yeah that G- oh yeah yeah look at him trying to oh he, there's something he became convinced he took steroids he took steroids i got into quite good shape on summer when we were in france and just, he was he wouldn't he wouldn't he wouldn't let it go what were those pills that you used to take every morning i was doing a protein world they were protein, <laughs> protein pills. world like, I, was, I was there we go that's what i was being paid by protein 
You, you were so, taking the same shit. Where have I taken anything? Where have I never taken anything? Sorry, what have you? What did you just do this morning? Oh my god! So Hazel, this is what I'm going to tell you. Ten mile run. You can probably yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah. feels like, are you wanking again? You need to get your shoes yeah, on. Again. Sorry, <laughs> run. Yeah, yeah. I just my porn room had to be turned off. <laughs> so you have a porn room? No, I don't have a porn so room. It's, <laughs> cinema room. No, it's just for porn. <laughs> it's just a porn. I'm going to get on to porn. How bad it is, but um, no, I, I was going to say this to you earlier. If you can, I'm. <laughs> I I've just started doing a personal trainer session, um, and he injects me with steroids. <laughs> But he gave me this drink at the oh, beginning. You should have asked me that on the lie detector. If you're taking steroids. Yeah, and I could uh, fucking we shut you up. We, he gave me this drink in the morning. He said, this will, you take this, it'll wake you up. And mm. I went, all right. And so I just drank it. And he said, there's a little bit of caffeine in there. Saying, I don't, there was definitely caffeine in there. Because then what's happened now, which I still have, I'm salivating so much where if I put my mouth over a bottle, I drool. What, what what is that what is over salivating so i, I phoned my mum and she said i got that when i was pregnant are you pregnant i was like no I'm, don't think so over salivating from taking caffeine mum must have been like you're 33 years old why are you phoning me <laughs> she did say that she said why are you phoning me why are you phoning is that something uh, i don't think you get it from caffeine i mean it depends on what else was in the drink did you get tingly skin yeah a little tingly mouth yeah so That's, there's like beta uh, alanine Oh. What is that? It's like something they put in pre-workout, which can like help you keep going for longer. But typically it makes your skin really tickly. And I think that's why like a lot of people like it because they're like, it's working, but it can make you really itchy. So maybe you were having a weird reaction to it. Isn't there something like ni niacin? It makes your skin flush. You go like bright I red. I have no idea. I think bodybuilders take it. I have no idea. But also you, you've written books. Mm -hmm. You've got your podcast. Um, you're known as the food medic. <laughs> Uh, you're, you're essentially just an, an, you know, you're an, an amazing nutritionist as well as amongst other things. And, and your, where would you say your expertise lie? Is it in gut health? Mm, I don't know. I think like nutrition, I guess, is my main area. I never specialized, but yeah. I did work in gastro for a long time. Um, and I'm actually taking a little break from the NHS to focus on the nutrition side of things. Um, so yeah, that's my main focus, but also female health. Like that's my next books on female health, but not like women's health, gynae, babies, that kind of typical thing that mm -hmm. people think of. But like, I don't know if you guys know this, but most of the research we have is based on a male body. What? Yeah. Like majority of the research of 70 kilo no white way. male body is like what most of our research is based on. What, so, what percentage yeah. are we talking if you had to guess? Mm, I mean, it's changing now because it has to, but I would say like... 70%. Is that purely because of who was doing the research back in the day that kind of founded medicine, modern medicine? Kind of. There's like loads of reasons. So basically women are considered like really problematic because we've got like fluctuating hormones and a menstrual cycle. We could get pregnant. So you can't give us drugs in a trial in case. Jamie always says that. How pro <laughs> problematic women are. Real chauvinist, this guy. That is insane where a woman's body is way more complicated than a man, surely. Yeah. And yet there's less knowledge about it. Yeah. So that's well, so the they thing. saw it. They were like, oh, we can't be asked for this. It's too, it's too stressful. Basically, to basically <laughs> so they're ridiculous. like, this is too much hassle. Like just stick with a male. And then we'll just say women are slightly smaller. Yeah. And they're all like, yeah, that sounds like a valid. What? Yeah. So, and I started thinking about this a lot, like in the last couple of years and there's been more like research coming out about like how different women are to men and I was like this is so bizarre because I'm like treating women all the time yeah based on research on a, a man's body and so there's all this like 
really interesting stuff to say, like women, for example, experience heart attacks differently. So they're like less likely to be treated on time and they're more likely to die. That's in the UK. Really? Yeah. Just quickly on that. I, I always hear that when a man is having a heart attack, they feel like they need a poo. That's why a lot of men die on the loo. <laughs> no. Yes, it's true. No, that's probably from a straining point of view. I, I thought that's why Elvis and people were found dead on the loo because they um, felt like they were having a heart They felt like they need a poo. You can feel sick, but I don't know about the whole, like, need a poo <laughs> symptom. So, so, so what is it? So, so, yeah, so if you really need to poo, I don't think you need to worry about having out. a heart attack. Yeah, because I'm every, having a heart attack about five times a day. Just, just to clarify, <laughs> central cr crushing chest pain, feeling sweaty, feeling nauseous. That's like typical heart heart attack symptoms. <sighs> that happens to me all the time when I'm anxious. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> when you can't find where to put them in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, I'm having a heart attack. Oh, God, I've pooed myself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm a heart attack or I've got OCD or I just need to poo. I don't know which one's going on. Wait, hang on. So women experience it differently to men. So how do men experience experience it crushing yeah. you know, that sort yeah, of pain. typically and how like do women do it so i mean the most common symptom will still be like uh chest pain but yeah. a lot of the time it will be having feeling nauseous or they might feel like they've got palpitations and they're having an, an anxiety attack like a panic attack and i've experienced this firsthand because i had a, a female patient who came in to me and she was uh saying that she had like chest pain so her gp sent her into the hospital to come in and have some extra tests and it was a really busy day. And I remember seeing her in the kind of waiting room and she was like telling the secretary that she was really late and she had to pick up her grandkids. And I was like, this is definitely stress induced or she's got heartburn and she thinks it's a heart attack. Anyway, um, I'm chatting to her and she tells me she's just stressed and she's like anxious and stuff like that. So I was like, even her history didn't really sound like a heart attack. So I'm like, oh, do you know, I'm pretty convinced that you're fine, but I have to do these tests mm, so I don't get yeah. sued do the tests lo and behold she was having a heart attack wow. and right it was like, there and then wow yeah so like she's cardiology come down and, and take her away but it, that was like one story that really stuck in my head you saved her life <laughs> yeah but i was like i think she's got a bit of an <laughs> you saved her life because you were legally <laughs> yeah. obliged to do the test yeah yeah yeah, yeah. No, no. yeah, yeah. i mean i would have yeah. done it anyway were you like also telling her by the way oh this is gonna be boring we've got to do it <laughs> while she's having a heart attack but oh sorry wow 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 there's obviously <laughs> yeah. but i think women are more likely to be like i'm too busy to have to be sick Whereas, yeah that's like, very true uh, if a man comes into hospital, I'm like, I know it's serious because they're not going to hear, they're not going to be here for, you know, if, if they're not feeling pain. So I don't want to say that. Men like, complain more than women. We can say that. I, I like, I mean, sure. Like I, I know with my fiance, fiance, um, I know. Uh, sorry, that's me. <laughs> so just, sweet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry. As a side note there. Um, uh, I know with it when she, when she feels pain, I know she's in real pain. Mm -hmm. Like if she's really complaining about it, then I know she's she's not well or she's hurting or something like that. When I complain that I'm not feeling good or feel pain, it's kind of bad, but it's not that bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're phoning your mum to tell her that I you're know, sal I'm eating too much. It, so. dude, is that called, like they always call it man flu, right? There is a sort of saying where men complain a lot more than when, but I think that's because women's uh, pain threshold is much higher because of pregnancy and things like that. Yeah, I think women are very resilient and. Again, if you've got like kids or grandkids to pick up, like you put them above you. So women are also like twice as likely as men then to be anxious and depressed. And that's really? like not just because of because we're physiologically different, but because women tend to be like primary caregivers, have lots of other things on their plate. Mm. Um, so that was like another thing. 
What? I, that's in, that's insane. But then the statistics show differently. No. In, in terms, and sorry, in terms of, so you just said women are more likely to be depressed or anxious. Yeah, twice men. as likely. Twice men. as likely, but but three two thirds of suicides are men. Yeah, that's different. But that's how you deal with. Um, I mean, suicide doesn't have to be because of st- um, oh, yes, anxiety yeah, or depression. Yeah. It could be like from anything, anything really. And that's really interesting because how women deal with stress is very different to how men deal with stress, and men will either turn to alcohol or drugs or commit suicide. So they're very like aggressive external yeah. behaviors, where mm. it's like women are very internalizing. So they'll like bottle it all up. They'll ruminate like I do and <laughs> yeah. keep awake all night. And then that will manifest as anxiety, depression, OCD. So men being aggressive in it, that's exactly. So we need to change the habit of men mm. in order to stop that. Stop being, be more open. About, we always talk about men have to be more open, but actually... Why are we so wanting instant relief from these things? I think um, there's a lot of kind of societal pressure on men to mm. be a bit more stoic. Yeah. And so they feel like they don't want to burden anyone with it. So women are more likely to seek out therapy and medical help. Whereas like men will typically try to get through it through other means. And so... It's, I mean, it's a problem for both sexes then because yeah. we're do both you, not equally dealing with it very well. Do you, do you think it's part societal conditioning and then is it also physiological in a man? Just the way our brains are wired, our response is to go to that aggression, that extreme place, whereas women are a bit more sort of like, I don't yeah. know, they slow things down a bit. And Yeah, I do. I think it's like it's both biological and kind of um, environmental mm. society factors and so we can't really change our biology um but we can change how we kind of deal with things so that's like a really important conversation and I feel like and I'm sure you'll agree in the last couple of years there's been a lot more conversation around men's health and like men speaking Mm -hmm. up because the Mm. rates are so high suicidal rates are so high the rates are going up so it's it's not I I don't understand that so Mm. my, my confusion lies is where um they did a really scary survey in America recently which is they said 67 percent of people were were unhappy mm. in america 67 percent that is wild and is there an argument to suggest right that um okay if we look at my grandmother my grandfather like I, i'm very open about my anxiety right and i wasn't for a long time i suffered with panic attacks anxiety all these different things so i'm fully in the mix right i know what mental health is um and I, I was I was getting it during a time when no one was really talking about it. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I remember what, I remember just saying to all of my friends, I just feel really a bit nervous. I feel really nervous. Does anyone else feel nervous? Because I didn't really know how to explain it. Mm-hmm. And it was just severe anxiety going on. My grandmother's generation, and you know, my my mum's, my dad's, whoever it is, that generation never really talked about things. Mm-hmm. That it, it was wasn't really mentioned much. And if it was mentioned, you were put straight on pills or put in a psychiatric ward. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's statistics that show that you know, um, people who had the similar anxiety um, nowadays were literally put were sectioned. You know, back in the sixties. So if I was one, of the, I would be sectioned, saying that I feel all these different things, right? Um, and is there a, a, an argument to say that because we are speaking about it too much, that actually it almost is a self-conflicting uh, p- prophecy? That actually, because 
We all now know what anxiety is and depression is, OCD is, insomnia is. Actually, if you are slightly anxious, you catch onto the things and it potentially makes it worse. Or is that total no, bollocks? I, I don't agree with that. I think the way that we live our lives in society has got to such a state that it is really, really generating anxiety. And I think I also think it's interesting what you're saying about like kind of revisions in medicine. I feel like there's loads of that happening right now across mm. the board which is like super interesting yeah um but yeah i, I you think I, that's wrong I, I don't know i'm just i'm just i think i think there it. probably is obviously an element of that for yeah. sure but like we are we, we are bombarded so much with data and information and just everything we do is just so unnatural now we've come so far from what we're kind of designed to deal with and i just feel like that essentially our brains are overloaded we're fried yeah um, i think you you both have a point though i think if you make people more aware of something then yeah. more people are going to put their hand up and be like that like i have that yeah um but i do think that we live in a very life was a lot more simple years ago and now we're just bombarded by things and also there's the whole comparison thing from being online and social mm. media so like you may have a perfectly good life yeah but it's not as good I know. as so and so who's online ah oh. and so what is happiness like when are you happy and like so many people live that oh i'll be happy when i have the house the, or the constant I, pursuit yeah. yeah i've said this before um <clears throat> i think i said on this podcast we're meant to have a village mentality right so we're meant to know 150 to 200 people that's what we're meant to know right so if you had a huge party everyone cousins family friends whatever it was that's who would come um, and out of those 150, 200 people, we have a USP, unique selling points, something that makes us ourselves. That's being the best podcaster, the best nutritionist, the best doctor, the best musician, the best person at wearing jeans, the best hopscotcher. <laughs> Sucks to be them. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But We've you know got a I mean? really, really great doctor. <laughs> you look great in those jeans. <laughs> but, it, but, it's, but it's true, right? Can't you, speak English. You have something that makes it yourself, right? And now what happens is, so if, you know, as the best podcaster or... or doctor or whatever it is because of social media now we log on social media in the morning early in the morning and our algorithm shows what we compare ourselves to because mm -hmm. we love uh magic our algorithm is probably going to be based around magic yours, yours is definitely not magic no but you know I, what i mean it's definitely not magic but you know what i mean there's loads of girls in bikinis <laughs> and that's why i have to go on a run every morning <laughs> but it does so we're constantly comparing ourselves to our individuals who are mm -hmm. like us and then we're constantly going well we're not better than them all the time. So that village mentality has gone out the window. And what we need to do is do that thing, which Matthew McConaughey said in a weird Oscar speech, but it's quite a good thing, is stop comparing ourselves to other people, mm. which we do all the time. I do it, right? I sit there on social media and, and I said this to, to you the other day, Alex, all three of us, we're doing pretty well. You know, in terms of the whole, the world's population, we're doing pretty well. But we can still sit and go, well, we're not doing good enough. Mm -hmm. We're not doing good enough. And actually, we should compare ourselves to who we were yesterday, last week, the year before. As long as we're improving ourselves by that 1%, that should be enough. Mm -hmm. But we're constantly comparing ourselves to individuals on social media who we have no fucking clue about. We don't know what they're doing, what they're going through, but we just see an idolized picture of them or video of them. And we think, well, they're doing fantastic. Mm -hmm. And we need to stop doing that. As soon as we stop doing that and laser focus on ourselves, we're going to be far more happy. Yeah. Is that fair? I don't know. I, yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's easier said than done, totally. but it's fair. Totally. It's, it's so hard to do that because we are kind of being bombarded and manipulated by, yeah. you know, you've got tech, you know, huge billion dollar companies who have people that their job is to work out how to attack our emotions, how to get into us. So it it's really difficult to, to bat that off, I mean, especially when you're tired. Like I'm better these days at like, you know, 
I recognized stuff that the, yeah. the, the stuff that I was addicted to, you know, Instagram and stuff like that. What were you addicted to? Huh? I was addicted to giving to charity. That was one of the, the tough, the toughest ones. I, I had to, I had to, had to give up. Oh God, it was hard. But you know, when they shake those pots and they're, oh, I just run up to them and I chuck in a 5 P. those pots. Um, I know what you mean. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, it is yeah. really difficult. Um, but I, I feel like, I do, I do feel like society's like hitting a point now where there kind of needs to be a big reset in the way that we do a lot of things. Mm. And I think that needs, I think it's good that we're all starting to talk about all this because that's the first step i think you then have to ask why again and again and again and again until you get to the root of the yeah. of the issue right well, well everything's moving very fast at the moment there's a famous quote which i'm going to murder which is if we can't catch our breath today how are we meant to breathe in the future which is so true right everything's going so fast yeah um hazel listen we're going to stop there for part one I want to come back for part two when I want to talk all about gut health because my gut. <laughs> We've not spoken about guts yet. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is the yeah. whole reason we got you here. Because his gut is... is oh. Are you ready for it? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, hold <laughs> your nose because it's going to oh be a good God. one. We'll see you in part two, right? <laughs> see you in part two. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.